Our first reading is tinnitus from Exodus chapter 21, verses, actually it's slightly shorter, it's verses 22 to 27, and you'll find that on page 79 in your pew Bible. So as you're looking that up, we're cutting into the middle of some Old Testament law here. So page 79, Exodus 21, verse 22. This is God's word. If people are fighting and hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely, but there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. An owner who hits a male or female slave in the eye and destroys it must let the slave go free to compensate for the eye. And an owner who knocks out the tooth of a male or female slave must let the slave go free to compensate for the tooth. Amen. So our second reading tonight is from Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 48, and you'll find that on page 970 of your pew Bible. So Matthew 5, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye, and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Good evening, everyone. Um, it's good to, good to be here tonight, isn't it? Uh, it's good to praise our God. Uh, I, I was away uh, yesterday, so it's nice to be back, um, back with my family and back with my church family, um, and great to sing praises to the Lord. Um, this is the end of our series on these misused Bible verses, uh, we're going to be starting a new series uh, next week on Sunday nights, uh, looking at Titus, I think, is that right? Did I remember that? Yeah, uh, we're looking at the letter to Titus, but this is the last of these misused Bible 
um, series, uh, Bible verses series, and I thought I'd maybe imitate Frank tonight and um, give away a book. And I was thinking, what book could I give away that might help somebody who'd been interested in what we'd been doing this series, looking at how we can try to understand the Bible a little bit better for ourselves. And my first thought, really my only thought, um, was uh, this book uh, by Andrew Satch and Nigel uh, Bynan called Dig Deeper. And it's, uh, the subtitle is Tools to Unearth the Bible's Treasure. Uh, this book is, I think it, there's maybe more that I might want to say about uh, interpreting the Bible than this says, but there's not less. And this is definitely the most accessible, most engaging kind of introduction to how you can read the Bible uh, for yourself that I can think of. And um, when it says tools to unearth the Bible's treasure, they mean that very literally. Um, each chapter is basically a different tool that you can use to kind of uh, get uh, into the Bible with and dig deeper to understand more of it. So you get things like the context tool. We've often talked about context um, on these uh, Sunday evenings. The structure tool, uh, the narrator's comment tool, the tone and feel tool, uh, the copycat tool, um, the who am I tool, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, so that, it's, it's really well written, very, very uh, accessible, as I say. Um, I was actually chatting uh, while I was away to a taxi driver who was giving me, every taxi driver I chat to seems to have this line, that you know, all religions are kind of the same and everyone interprets the Bible in different ways, so how can you really be sure? Well, if you've kind of got that kind of question, um, there, are, there are ways that we really can be faithful uh, to, to God and to try and understand what he says better, and this book will help you to do that. So um, I, now I'm not as generous as Frank. Uh, I wouldn't mind getting this back. Because uh, <laughs> I, I still would like to refer to it, but... Um, uh, if anyone would like to borrow it, and then the condition is that you have to give it back to me rather than giving it to someone else. Um, who, who would like a copy of Dig Deeper to go away and have a look at? Yes, there's somebody I saw a hand up there, back. There you go, Laura. Okay. Uh, great. Well, we are, as I say, in this, uh, in this final of our, our series, in these uh, very often misused Bible verses. And tonight we're looking at Exodus chapter 21. If you wanted to turn that back, uh, let's remind ourselves of what it says. And then I'll pray, and then we'll dive straight in. So the verse that we are focusing on tonight, uh, three verses. Verse 23. If there is serious injury... You are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Our Father, as we come uh, to study your word again tonight, we're conscious of how easy it is to uh, misunderstand your word because of our own uh, sin, because of our our own ignorance. And so, Lord, we we ask that you'd take that away from us tonight. Might your Holy Spirit be our teacher as we study your word together. Uh, Lord, would you lead us into all truth? Uh, We're particularly conscious of how Christians come to different conclusions about some of the verses that we're looking at tonight. So we pray uh, especially that we'd we'd, uh, have discernment as we hear your word being preached and applied to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, listen uh, as I remind you about the God who saves us. The God of our fathers, 
the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saw the depths of our misery, and he came down to save us, putting on true knowledge and righteousness and holiness with his outstretched arm, he pushed back the darkness with darkness. He conquered death with death. And he freed us from slavery to the evil one, making a way through the sea. Wrapping himself in light, he led us through fire and water as we followed the blazing glory of his presence. The Lord healed our diseases. He spread a table in the wilderness, a feast of bread from heaven, and water gushed out from the side of a broken rock. Sing with me, how great is our God. And he tested us to teach us that his commands were good and to trust him for our daily bread. He led us away to a mountain in the wilderness and at the top of the mountain the Lord sat down. From the blazing fire we heard a voice like rushing waters calling us to follow him and we would be a kingdom of priests. He made us like a city on a hill so that the nations would learn to walk in the light of the God of Jacob. And so we listened as he taught us to worship him acceptably with reverence and awe. He gave us ten words, writing them on our hearts with his very own finger. Who is a God like our God? Who's a rock like our rock? Surely our God is mighty to save. And what nation has laws so holy and righteous and good as we do? The decrees of the Lord are altogether clean, enlightening the eyes. Love does no wrong to a neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. But here we are in our enlightened times, and we've somehow dulled our minds. We've kind of come down from the mountain, and we read these laws. And I wonder if, like me, you don't automatically see love here, but maybe even barbarism and butchery. We know Christ came to fulfill the law. Uh, we know that he said that the heavens and the earth will pass away before even a jot or a tittle of the law is changed. But we kind of wonder also if progress and progressive revelation, if you know what that means, means that these laws have now sort of somehow passed their sell-by date. They've kind of expired. And so we come to our reading tonight in which a man uh, who beats his male or female slave um, is, seems to be allowed to sort of do that. Uh, that was in uh, the bit that we didn't read. Uh, we get this fight between uh, two men uh, in which a pregnant woman gets injured and then a master destroys his slave's eye. And at the heart of both our readings tonight, from the Old and the New Testament, there is this unflinching command. If there is serious injury, you are to take life for life eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Brothers and sisters, we need to know how to understand this so that we can say that the law of God is holy and righteous and good, just as the Apostle Paul does. Um, now, I've got three guidelines uh, before we kind of get into the passage in detail that will help us to understand what we're doing and where we are in the Bible. Um, as Malcolm said, this is a bit of the Old Testament law. It's called the case law. 
And the first guideline that I want to give you is that we need to learn to spot the difference between the case law uh, in Exodus chapters 21 to 24 and the, the ten words, the ten commandments, which are there for us in Exodus chapter 20. The Old Testament makes a big distinction between these. Um, there's, a kind of, there's lots of thunder and lightning um, before the Ten Commandments uh, get introduced in chapter 19, and then after the Ten Commandments get introduced at the end of chapter 20, there's lots more thunder and lightning. And then we get uh, this chapter of much more detailed uh, little laws. And these are, if you like, context-specific applications of the Ten Commandments. So the Ten Commandments are the kind of the permanent law uh, that's for all time. And what we've got in, in the rest of these chapters are Here's how to apply them to the situation that the Israelites were in then. Now, hardly anyone thinks that these, um, these chapters of case law apply to Christians today. But what they do do is they help us to understand better what the Ten Commandments are, are teaching us. They kind of teach us how to draw out the meaning of the Ten Commandments for ourselves. So that's the first thing. We need to spot the difference between the Ten Commandments and the case law. Second thing we need to do is look for patterns. Um, if you've ever read through these in like a Bible reading plan or something, you've probably felt like you would, they were just totally random and jumbled together. But actually, there is quite a clear flow. Um, the, the, these laws start in chapter 21 with crimes against people, uh, which come with more severe penalties. And then over the page in chapter 22, they, it moves more into crimes against property, and they get less severe penalties. Um, so you can see, even from a very basic overview of these laws, there's almost uh, this kind of scale, and God is teaching us crimes against people are more important than crimes against property. And that was controversial in the ancient world. Other laws from the ancient world didn't do that, but uh, our God's laws do. Um, and then, e then within kind of each little group of laws, there's actually kind of little clusters. And there's a, there's a pattern where you get a kind of a primary law which is the kind of gives you the main idea. And then you get another one that kind of comes along next to it that's quite related. But it sort of gives you a twist on the primary one. And between the two of those, you can kind of understand what's going on. Uh, and so um, you've got uh, spot the difference, look for patterns, and then thirdly, expect to think. This is a very small body of law. Even by ancient standards, it, it's much smaller. It's, it's condensed. It's, it's deliberately very compact. And what it's doing is it's giving us very specific case studies that, if you like, illuminate several dis different aspects of, of the Ten Commandments at, at one time. Um, and we need to learn to kind of tease them out if we're going to understand what this means. So if we read these laws like they're kind of modern legislation in which kind of every loophole has to be kind of closed off, otherwise it's not a very good law, then we won't get very far with these laws. They're not written like that. They're more kind of a teaching aid. Here's how, if you're going to be an Israelite judge, you need to read these and study them to kind of learn wisdom, learn how to think. And I suppose in general, just very briefly, that would probably be my, my sort of uh, how to not misinterpret the Bible tip for this week. Expect to think when you're reading the Bible. Um, the Bible's treasure, as, that, as the back of that book says, doesn't necessarily all lie on the surface. There's lots more to uncover if we learn to dig a bit deeper. So, um, so three tips then on how to read these kind of laws. Spot the difference between the, the, the Ten Commandments and the, the specific applications. Look for the patterns and then expect to think. So let's put those into practice now by trying to interpret 
uh, th this rule about an eye for an eye. So firstly then, in chapter 21, we get the main rule in verses 22 to 25. If men who are fighting hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely, but there's no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the husband, woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, and so on. Now, there's a lot going on in this little example. It's quite a tricky, unusual little case. I mean, I don't know if we've got any uh, doctors or nurses here or, or people who work in a and &E. I don't know if you've ever had to deal with this kind of a case where there's been a fight and a pregnant woman uh, gets hit so that she, so that she possibly uh, gives birth prematurely. But this little kind of interesting edge case, if you like, is being used to teach us lots of different things. But that means we need to then make sure we, we go through quite slowly and don't get ahead of ourselves. Um, but you can see, out of this very specific little case comes this quite a general rule about the eye for an eye, and we've all heard that. And that's actually quoted two other places in the Old Testament law, so it is a big principle. And you can see it's, it's quite sort of general. There's lots of different examples. And again, you couldn't necessarily imagine all of these happening in this kind of uh, fight situation. Now, before we get a bit deeper into this, um, it's, it's obvious with the situation that this is coming out of that this law is saying something about the life of the unborn as well as about the life of the mother. But exactly what's going on here is quite difficult to work out. And you can see in the main text of the NIV, we've got... Um, the woman gives birth prematurely, um, but, so presumably the, the children are, are alive. But then if you look at footnote E, we've got another option, which is that she has a miscarriage and the children are dead. And that make, actually makes a big difference to whether these, the children in the womb are going to be considered under this life-for-life life rule. Now, I'm, I'm not going to deal with that in, in the main talk this evening because it would take too long. Um, but if you're interested in that and want, want to kind of have a look at that a little bit more, I can kind of go through those options a bit more slowly. Um, so grab a cup of tea and uh, I'll kind of go and sit over there just in front of where the prayer area is. And if you want to talk that through and, and I'll try and explain that a bit more, we can, we can do that. But let's focus tonight on this eye for eye rule in general. And let's make a few observations then to see what this is talking about and, and do our thinking, if you like, as kind of Israelite judges. So we're still in the realm, we're in the realm of injuries here, um, and there's been a few kind of laws about injuries already. Um, and unlike some of the earlier uh, in rules, there's nothing here about the person recovering from their injury. This seems to be about what to do when there's a permanent injury, if you lose an eye or lose a tooth. Um, and the answer is, well, just as you have to give life for life, so if somebody, if somebody um, kills somebody else, then their life is kind of forfeit, well, so too, if you take somebody's eye, it seems like your eye is going to be forfeit. So this is an application of the sixth commandment. Do not kill. Don't take life. Protect life. And interestingly, it doesn't just apply to if you kill somebody. It applies to if you do things that are going to affect the quality of somebody's life. If you chop off somebody's hand, if you take their eye out, you're going to inhibit some aspects of their life. And the sixth commandment, do not kill, has something to say about that for us. Um, so that's the first thing then. So how do you deal then with injuries that affect the quality of somebody's life? Second observation, the basic principle here is one of retribution. So we've got these, these kind of two cases 
You, you see, if there's no serious injury, then there's just a sort of a flat fine. Um, but if there is a serious injury, then there should be retribution. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life. If you take somebody else's life, under the Old Testament law, you deserve to have your life taken. And if you take out somebody's eye, well, it seems that you deserve to have your eye taken out. This just basic principle of equivalence. And so this is called um, the lex talionis. It just means the law of retribution, or literally the law of the tooth. And this has always been seen by, by Jewish and Christian readers of the Old Testament as a really central principle to Old Testament law. And it's interesting because other societies did have this kind of law too. But if you took out somebody's eye, there would be a kind of more of a flat fine. Uh, the, there was something called the eye price. And this is interesting because it means if you're actually a wealthy person, you could almost go along and cause quite a lot of damage to quite a lot of different people. And you could pay out the fine because it's a kind of a flat rate. And you would never really feel the consequences of all these people that you'd caused permanent damage to. And this law is against that. Um, this, this law, one commentator says, the penalty has to hurt, basically. This has, to, this has to really impact the person who's caused this permanent injury. Uh, third observation, though, we need to see that this is not a rule about personal vengeance. Um, so this is not, you know, you're in a fight and somebody knocks your tooth out and you're just basically allowed to kind of hit them straight back and take their tooth out. This is not saying that. Um, and our translation, uh, if you compare it with other translations, uh, you'll see that where, where our translation says you are to take, lots of the other translations actually say you are to give eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand. So it's not about the person who's injured kind of taking out the other person's tooth or eye or whatever. This is about a settled, orderly process of judicial arbitration where the judges are to give eye for eye, tooth for tooth, life for life. So what have we got then from looking at this, this primary situation, this primary law? Uh, we've seen that the sixth commandment applies to cases of permanent injury. Um, it's not just about when you kill somebody, it's about when you injure somebody permanently as well. And when that happens, the law of retribution applies. The offender needs to bear a matching cost to the hurt and damage that they've caused to the other person. Okay? Well, let's have a look now at the secondary rule in verses 26 to 27 and see how this gives us a twist on this or helps it make it clearer. So if a man hits a maidservant, manservant or a maidservant in the eye and destroys it, he must let the servant go free to compensate for the eye. And if, if he knocks out the tooth of a manservant or maidservant, he must let the servant go free to compensate for the tooth. So two more observations. Firstly, this clarifies that unlike other ancient nations, in Israel, this, this lex talionis, this law of retribution, applies to slaves as well as to free people. So, for example, if you look at a Babylonian uh, legal code called the Code of Hammurabi, I should have practiced that. Clifford's mumbling it over there. You can go, go to him for the pronunciation later. Um, maybe I should have mumbled. Anyway, um, 
if you, take out your, if you take out your slave's eye under that legal system, there is no penalty whatsoever. Okay? So they have this concept of eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But if you injure your slave's eye, that's okay. It doesn't matter. Okay? But in Israel, the slave has rights as well as the master. The master does have some sort of rights over his slave, but the slave has personal rights. And if the, if the master violates those personal rights, the slave gets to go free. Even if the slave's tooth is knocked out, the slave gets to go free. And this brings us to the last observation, which is really important. This makes it clear to us how this lex talionis law is actually applied. And it's not literal. That's the key thing. So if the master knocks out his slave's tooth, the slave doesn't sort of, isn't allowed to sort of pin him down and knock the tooth out, or the judge doesn't kind of come along with a hammer and knock out his master's tooth. What happens instead is the master loses his slave. That's seen as fair contribution. That's seen as an, an application of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. If you've damaged your slave's quality of life, you have to make it up to him. If you can, you have to kind of give him his, uh, his quality of life back. Uh, and in general, that seems to be how this is applied. It's better to give something back to the victim rather than simply another person losing a tooth. So when we read about an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, don't think of people's hands kind of being judicially chopped off like you might see in some countries today. There's no evidence that happened in the Old Testament or even in, in the ancient world as a whole, apparently. Um, and in fact, the Old Testament explicitly warns against kind of degrading shameful punishments. There was a limit on how many times somebody could be lashed in case the person is degraded in your eyes. And that would seem to apply to kind of chopping off somebody's hand and that sort of thing. It would seem to kind of give that person a mark of shame that the Old Testament doesn't want to happen. Um, there is one strange rule that does seem to speak about literally chopping off somebody's hand, uh, Deuteronomy 25, uh, 11 to 12. But even there, the fact that it's sort of spelled out explicitly there seems to imply that in other cases, you're not meant to take this literally. It's about appropriate compensation. And all the commentators seem to agree that normally that would be financial. But not just like a flat fee, but a penalty that hurts the person who did it uh, as much as they would be hurt if their own eye was ruined. So you can imagine how it might go in negotiations. You know, how much is it worth to you to not have your eye taken out? Oh, this much. Um, and to the, to the victim, you know, how much would it be worth to you to, to have money instead of seeing the guy's eye being taken out? And, you know, you could, you could, you could find an amount of money that would reflect the, the, the value of that eye being taken out, that would, that would be a real penalty for the person who's caused this damage. So an eye for an eye, it's poetic language. It, it's expressing the cry of our hearts to this fundamental principle that when hurt is, is caused, there ought to be appropriate retribution. The penalty, inflict, the penalty imposed ought to be proportional to the damage inflicted. An eye for an eye. It's obvious, isn't it? An eye for an eye. So this law is not primitive. It actually reflects the sort of eternal reality of justice. There should be a kind of a symmetry between the offence and the punishment. We expect that. And this is good. Retributive justice is good because it stops rich people or free people from casually wrecking another person's quality of life. 
In God's society, nobody should be able to wreck somebody's life and just pay them off and not feel the pain of that. I wonder whether our society reflects that. So this law is is here to protect victims, but it's also here to protect um, offenders, if you think about it, because sometimes there can be justice that is not proportional to the crime committed. There can be kind of mob justice. Certain crimes can be so unpopular that actually the penalties far outweigh uh, the, the damage caused. And so this says, no, our punishment should be proportional. It should be one eye for one eye, one tooth for one tooth, not, not two eyes for one eye, or two teeth for one tooth. And if any of us have kind of had to ever impose punishments on, on people who have uh, been misbehaved, uh, they'll know that it's quite tricky to sometimes stop the punishments from escalating too much. Um, and this law says to judges, and it says to those in authority generally, to make your punishments proportionate to what has been done. So that really, this, this principle is here to limit violence. Don't see this as just violence and more violence. It's a warning, don't harm other people. And it provides justice to be done when harm does occur. And where is this coming from ultimately? It's all coming from God's character and his activity. He's made humanity in his image. And so he expects that we treat every person with equal dignity, whether slave or free. An eye for an eye means that God cares about everybody's eyes. That's really good, isn't it? Now, retributive justice is not actually very popular today. If we were to kind of uh, go on our kind of newspaper uh, reports uh, or to look at kind of modern kind of legal textbooks, many more people are much keener to talk about justice in terms of rehabilitation. Uh, kind of stopping the offender from kind of re-offending and, and transforming them, which is obviously a good thing, and nobody's against that. But when we only focus on rehabilitation, then we're only really talking about the future, stopping future crimes from being committed. And I think what's maybe going on is when you lose the awareness of, of God in your kind of legal system, you're actually going to not really have a basis for really caring about past crimes. They're only interesting as far as they might cause future problems. Um, And if you lose awareness of God, you risk losing the sense that that past rights and wrongs actually really matter. But that's not true, is it? That, That we should only focus on preventing future crime. Think about what's supposed to have happened in that house just across the way near Marks and Spencers. That really matters, doesn't it? Something evil and very ugly is alleged to have happened in there years ago. And it really needs to be set right. It's not just about waiting for the people who may have suffered there to die, and then we can kind of bulldoze the building and forget about it. It's a blot on our landscape, not just in kind of visual terms, but in ethical terms. It's an ugly sore. And it'll only be removed when anyone who, who did perpetrate evil in that house is brought to justice. When evil is not punished, there's something wrong with the world. And so, right at the heart of the message of the gospel, 
are two judgments. There's going to be a judgment at the end of the world when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back to right every wrong. And there will be no blots on the landscape of the new creation. Every mountain will be made low. Every valley will be lifted up. Everything will become a level plain. That's the good news, that in the future, the past will be put right. But there's a second judgment, a judgment that comes first. And that's the good news, that Christ has come already. He stood in our place to be condemned for what we've done wrong. We deserve judgment. But in Christ, both our past and our future judgments are taken away. So for us, these should be precious words. An eye was paid for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. The Lord Jesus was that committed to these words that he paid that for us and he will come again to repay it. Well, what about Jesus? On to the final thing I want to cover tonight, uh, our New Testament reading. Because didn't we hear Jesus say there, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. If somebody strikes you on the right cheek, Turn the other to him also. So you might want to turn that up. I can hear a few pages flicking, which is great. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, page 970. Uh, Many of you will have heard of John Piper, I'm sure. Um, He actually did his PhD on this kind of section in the Sermon on the Mount. And in it, he says that Jesus here is in some sense abolishing lex talionis. He's kind of overturning this Old Testament law, according to John Piper. Um, Now, I've got a huge amount of love and respect for John Piper, um, uh, so I'm not picking on him, uh, except that he's a good example of what I think is a really big way of understanding these verses in, in our Christian culture. And I don't think it's quite right. And here's why. So notice Jesus says, you have heard that it was said. So I don't think he's so much referring directly back to the Old Testament law as to what people were hearing in the kind of religious airwaves at the time. He's kind of, um, he's kind of talking about slogans that the teachers of the law were putting out, kind of sound bites, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and the other ones that he talks about in this section. You have heard, you have heard, you have heard, but I say to you, I say to you, I say to you. And so alongside these kind of religious teachers' kind of sound bites from the Old Testament law, Jesus sets alongside them his own slogans. Turn the other cheek. But actually that that slogan wouldn't have been new to a person living under the law. Prophet Jeremiah talks about turning his cheek to one who attacks him. And um, Leviticus uh, 19 says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So I don't think Jesus is overturning the Old Testament law here. But what he is doing 
is pointing to a very important misuse of this passage. And so with all that I've been saying about how we should see an eye for an eye as a good law, we need to be very aware that there's a, a, a danger that we can, we can come, become fixated on it, if you like. And that would be the misuse. If you were to make this, this law of an eye for an eye um, the sort of slogan of your life, then you wouldn't actually be reflecting the fullness of God's character displayed in the law. The law of God is about justice, but it's also about mercy. And ultimately, it is all about love. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's how you fulfill the whole law. And now within loving your neighbor, there is going to be a role for judges to exercise appropriate justice in the courtroom. That's part of how they will love their neighbor. But there's also going to be a place for those who have been offended, uh, who are victims, to not necessarily pursue the full force of the law. Even when we're injured by somebody, we still have to love them, and we have to think about how we're going to love them appropriately. Um, so here's, uh, well, you can guess who says this. I'll, I'll read you a quote. Um, Although God commands punishment to be inflicted on the guilty, still... If a man be injured, he ought not to seek for vengeance. For God does not contradict himself, who so often exhorts his children not only to endure injuries patiently, but even to overcome evil with good. The murderer is to be punished, or he who has maimed a body part of his brother. But it is not therefore lawful, if you have unjustly suffered violence, to indulge in wrath or hatred, so as to render evil for evil." So that's John Calvin. That's how he sees this. He's, he's saying that Old Testament law still matters, but so too does Jesus command to try to turn the other cheek. And you can hold both of them together under the idea of loving your neighbour as yourself. So, for example, if you um, have somebody um, say something to you in the workplace that's very offensive, um, and somebody sort of says to you in the staff room, well, you really sh- they really shouldn't have said that to you. You know, you, re- you really should file a formal complaint. Well, do you? Do you kind of, do you kind of allow your, your hurt and your feelings to sort of say to you, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, I'm going to file the complaint and make sure they get justice? Well, you could do that. But you might choose instead to think, well... I'm maybe going to have a quiet word with this person or I'm going to do something else to try to to show love to them. And it may be that actually you you wait a while until if they do it several more times and you think they might be doing it to other people and you think actually it's in the best interest of everybody if this person gets taken into account. Maybe then you would file the complaint. But if you make an eye for an eye your slogan, then you may end up indulging a kind of a vengeful spirit which is not the spirit of Christ. He doesn't say an eye for an eye doesn't matter. But he does say there's more to life and more to the law than an eye for an eye. And he shows us that. He shows us both of these things. Because he loves his neighbor by giving up his life for our life. We follow a savior who both gives and keeps the whole law. Loving mercy he went to the cross, turning his cheek to those who pulled out his beard. Loving justice, he decreed his own punishment of himself. You could almost say that he drove the the nails into his own hands. He was that much in control of what happened. 
But now he's, he's risen. He's ascended. And with just mercy, he is reconciling sinners like us to himself. And with merciful justice, he's waiting patiently to come again. Not in revenge, but in order to right every wrong. And so through him and with him be praise and authority to the Father with the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. He was silent as he was standing accused. He was mocked and beaten and scorned. And Father, we believe that he did that out of his obedience to your will, out of his desire to fulfill the whole law, to suffer the righteous demands of justice in our place, and to love us, his neighbours, his enemies who had turned away from him. Father, we thank you for the example and the sacrifice and the obedience of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray that we might follow him in loving justice and loving mercy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.